This is On the Fence Physio, a project designed to drive discussion around those gray topics in physiotherapy. If a professor ever answered your question with, it depends, this is where you want to be. We might not figure out the correct answer, but we will try to answer the question in every single possible way. This is a discussion forum directed at healthcare providers around issues in physiotherapy, but we also welcome viewpoints from patients. That being said, this podcast is not medical advice. If you are looking for legitimate medical advice, seek out a legitimate licensed medical provider. Now, on to the show. Hello, and this is On the Fence Physio. Today, I am your host, Andy Wiseman, physical therapist in the Maryland, D.C. area, and this is a fence post. Today's topic will be a review of a particular journal article. Now, before we go into this article, I'd like to say where I got this article from, because I think it's relevant. This article was being advertised by a company that markets and sells educational classes on dry needling for physical therapists and other healthcare providers. This company has a financial incentive to convince consumers which are healthcare providers in this case, to pay for their courses so that they can take training and be certified in performing dry needling procedures all over the world. Now, I think that's relevant. And we do need to look at, when we are looking at research, who's promoting it and why might they be promoting it? You might ask yourself, Andy, you're promoting things Am I talking to myself right now? Maybe. But why are you promoting different research things? Well, uh, let, me know. let me tell you, intrepid audience member, I have no financial disclosures for the research and thoughts and opinions that I share. I, we at On The Fence Physio do not monetize any of it. We do not accept any donations. We do not accept any sponsors. Matt and I and all other people involved in On The Fence Physio do this because it's kind of fun and uh, we enjoy challenging our own biases and challenging our own thoughts and uh, maybe just a little bit, I have a bit of a narcissistic personality that enjoys to hear myself talk sometimes, as honest as I can be. Anyway, I'm going to read to you how this article was advertised first. A recent study comparing dry needling and corticosteroid injections in the treatment of individuals with lateral epicondylasia concluded that dry needling was superior to corticosteroid injections, although both approaches were effective. So that's the tagline. I feel like it's kind of clickbaity, right? Not giving a whole lot of details here, but that's what ads are supposed to do. They're supposed to be just enough information to get you interested, right? In this case, I feel like that title might be a bit misleading. If we look a little bit deeper into the article, so the article is The Use of Dry Needling Versus Corticosteroid Injections to Treat Lateral Epicondylitis, a Prospective, Randomized, and Controlled Study. This was published in 2021 in the Journal of Shoulder Elbow Surgery. Um, this study has three authors, and I believe they're all from Turkey based on their um, 
academies and universities listed below. And I would be just absolutely uh, beside myself if I tried to pronounce these names and got them all entirely right, but we're going to give it a try. We have Dr. Ugur, Dr. Aktas, and a physical therapist um, by the name of Emine Gul Yilmazugula. I really apologize if I didn't get those right. This is definitely not my area of speciality. Anyway, their study actually looked at um, people with lateral epicondylitis, and they picked a very narrow um, group of people to treat with their intervention. Not really noted in the tagline for that article that I just read you in the advertisement, but their group actually picked apart people who were of middle age, which is a, which is a good generalized group to get. But these people first received... All of the people with lateral elbow pain first received standard of care treatment, first-line treatment, as they called it, where they were given a wrist extension brace and told to wear it basically all the time, unless they're showering or sleeping, for three months. And only the people that didn't respond well to that treatment were then put into the next grouping or the actual study. So... One of their exclusion criteria was, you know, if you got better with first-line care. Kind of interesting, right? So the people who get better with first-line care are now out of the study. So who does that leave us? Well, maybe that leaves us the people with more chronic conditions, you might say. Well, one of their exclusion criteria was also people who had had their problems for, they described it as recalcitrant problems, and for, I believe, it was more than 18 months of pain. So now we're taking out the chronic pain people because anyone longer than 18 months is now out of the study. Who does that leave us with? It's a kind of uh, interesting subset and I don't really even know how to describe it, I guess. Um, so we're taking out people who have had good resolution of their symptoms, whether they were chronic or whether they were acute with standard of care. And after we get rid of those, then we exclude out anybody who's had the problems for a long time. So now we're left with the people who uh, haven't had the problem for that long, but didn't get better with first-line care. We then randomize them into one of two groups. Um, the two groups are a dry needling group and a corticosteroid injection group. The, cor the uh, corticosteroid injection group did the typical thing. They came in for one-time ultrasound-guided corticosteroid injection. Um, they do mention that the uh, provider peppered the tendon, and we put that in quotes, peppering the tendon being, they poke a bunch of holes in it, 20 to 30 times is what was cited in the study. Um, the dry needling group, however, came in twice a week. They were needled in many different locations. They um, were needled, the needles were inserted, placed all the way down, to the bone, they were twisted three to four times. They describe it very well in the study. Twisted three to four times, and they were left there for a while. And then they took them out, and they applied compression to reduce bleeding. Anyway, the procedure took a little bit longer than the corticosteroid injection. And they came in twice a week for five sessions, obviously spending a little bit more time with the provider. Now, the uh, outcome that they measured was a patient-reported outcome scale with uh, that included pain and disability 
in the questionnaire. And of course, my mind first goes to when we looked at the fact that both improved, both groups reported reduction in pain and disability. Based on the statistical analysis that was used in the study, the dry needling group did do a little bit better. But what alternative reasons could explain that? So when you have patients who were given a brace to wear at home, and they didn't, and their problem didn't get any better. And then you give them a treatment where they get to come sit down with a physical therapist twice a week for several weeks and spend that one-on-one care with a healthcare provider who's providing a intervention in probably an empathetic way in order to try to improve their problem. This might be the perfect subset that gets that added little benefit of therapeutic alliance from having in-person, you know, direct care with a healthcare provider. And if we had to set up this study to have some other sham treatment that provided the same time-matched care with a physical therapist, if we had compared it to uh, an exercise group or an education group that sat for education a similar amount of time or somehow provided a good sham for dry needling, in the same amount of time to just time match study, I think we could see a little bit better if that theory, that spending time with a healthcare provider, was a significant effect in reducing this particular subset of patients. I don't know. This is just where my head tends to go when I read this kind of stuff. And if we go back to how that article was originally advertised, that there was a more effective treatment I don't know because effectiveness can be interpreted in several ways. In this paper, they talk about cost effectiveness. So in the discussion, they say that corticosteroid injections are more expensive than performing dry, dry needling. They then later on go to mention that spending several visits and spending more time getting a treatment that takes has to be given over multiple sessions can potentially cost the patient more if you factor in time and travel and those other kind of more hidden costs. I I agree with what the authors are saying in this, and the authors are basically saying that in order to make an argument about the cost effectiveness of dry needling versus a corticosteroid injection, more research needs to be done. They also mentioned that there is some literature out there that shows that there can be a negative tendon effect with corticosteroid injections that are used repeatedly, so maybe dry needling would be able to reduce that potential deterioration of tendon tissue rather than doing corticosteroids. So it might be beneficial in the way that it just doesn't have as many harmful outcomes. Again, I agree with the authors that maybe that could be true. Now, I feel like the authors in their discussion make a very nuanced point in that while there was a difference in how the groups performed, it is not conclusive to say that one treatment is significantly better than the other because there are a lot of factors involved when selecting the appropriate intervention for a patient. The cost, the potential harmful side effects, and the potential benefits are all factors that need to be weighed. 
Why didn't the uh, dry needling company make that nuanced point? Maybe it's because they're biased towards selling their product. And that is what I kind of feel icky about when it comes to commercial consumerism and healthcare and that junction of where they meet. If you listen to our most recent podcast episode, we talk about some of the financial incentives and switching to a cash-based physical therapy model versus an insurance-based physical therapy model and all the fun things that can come with that. Take a listen. It's a good episode, and you get to hear Matt talking, not just me. I would recommend that as you continue to read and grow, as I try to do on a regular basis, to look at what sources are providing you the information and to just question what are possible other explanations to the effects that we see. Thank you very much for listening. Again, this is On The Fence Physio. We can be reached at at OTF Physio on Twitter. Please uh, comment. Please tweet at us. Please retweet while we tweet because we just really, really like that sweet, sweet social media interaction. Thank you very much and have a good day or night or wherever you are.